be with you. Um, my name is Brett Andrews, and I work with Youth for Christ Canada, as you've seen, and I work together with a team of people um, who work across Canada supporting Youth for Christ staff and local centers. We have 35 different local centers across Canada with 720 staff. Um, we've grown in three years from 360 to 720 staff, so uh, it's been explosive. My challenge as the Director of People Development is to provide initial training for our new staff, such as you see there, and also to provide continuing education um, for people who've been around a little while. Now, you'll see that picture there. Uh, Joanne and I just returned from Ecuador this past Sunday. And uh, last year, we went down there. You may remember, you prayed and you supported us. And uh, we led a training institute for people in Latin American countries. Uh, what has happened since then is that there's been a team of 12 people that have raised up um, who have agreed to be a Latin American training team who are located in Brazil, Uruguay, Ecuador, and uh, Colombia. And what they're going to do is spread that training to the 22 nations across Latin America. We'll act as coaches and encouragement and provide some uh, help along the way. So our role will lessen, theirs will increase. Um, but why that means anything to you guys, you may not know this, but when you give to the church's missions offering, you help support people like me. I am a missionary of Interkip Presbyterian Church and uh, I'm very grateful for your support, so thank you. I don't get to say it very often, so thanks for uh, what you do that allows me to do what I do. We are uh, going to turn and talk about some other things this morning, and um, <clears throat> for some of you uh, of a certain vintage, this badge is going to bring back bad memories. You, you may need counseling. Um, but this is Fitness Canada's award, and this is a bronze one. It's not a gold one. And uh, every year, for children who were raised, this ran from 1978 through to 19, no, 1974 through to 1992. Fitness Canada would, in middle schools and high schools across our country, they had a set of five tests that you would have to do every year in phys ed. Um, there was uh, speed sit-ups, there was a 50-yard dash, there was a 300-yard run, which was fine. Uh, there was a standing broad jump, for some of you who may remember that. Um, but there was one event, there was one event every year that kept me from getting a gold, and that was the flexed arm hang. And I don't know if you remember that, um, but for some reason, because I think educators got together, and here's what they said. Uh, we don't think that puberty in adolescence is traumatic enough. Um, we're going to give them the flexed arm hang. Um, you know, people have got hair showing up in places. Their voice is changing. Um, they've got all sorts of these traumas happening. Now let's throw in the flexed arm hang just to make sure that their life is completely humiliating. And so that's what happened. So every year, and, and I had this dilemma every year, do I pretend that I'm sick on flexed arm hang day, or do you actually go? Because it's just going to be miserable. And I had this one friend, his name uh, was Willie Brereton, well, still is, and um, <laughs> Willie was kind of like a gorilla. So, like, he wasn't that hairy, but, but he had arms that were really long, and he was strong. So even in grade seven or eight, you would get up on, they would raise you up, and you would hold on to this um, 
cross beam, and you had to keep it at eye level. And do you remember this? Okay, I don't think they have to do it anymore. They've become more gracious. So you would hold on to this thing at eye level, and if you got past 40 seconds, then you could get a silver badge. Um, and if you were able to go past a minute, then I think it, this isn't a gold. I did not get a gold um, because I had to do the flexed arm hang. So every year, that was just an overwhelming experience. It was something that just, oh, in my mind, it plagued me, and I couldn't get past it. And you may remember it. Now, as we get older, challenges become different. They become more real. Sometimes they become more traumatic, more impactful. And from time to time, if we think about it, we think about the challenges of raising our children or of supporting our aging parents or um, losing our job or facing a health crisis or whatever the situation may be. Uh, it is tempting for us, I'm going to suggest, to despair. It is tempting for us to suggest that those things that are coming at us are so overwhelming, I don't know what to do. And our resources are limited and we get stuck there. And all we can see is this bad thing in front of us, this difficult circumstance. And this morning I want to suggest to you that there's actually a difference between um, being overwhelmed or empowered and it comes from our vision of who God is. When we have this grand vision of who God is, life changes for us. In January, January 4th, as a matter of fact, um, just two months ago, I got called in. I teach part-time, quarter-time at Emmanuel Bible College in Kitchener. So they called us in for a staff meeting, uh, every staff person, and the president began to speak. And as he began to speak, he began to well up and he began to cry. And he said, I have some terrible news to tell you. Um, some of you may know this, but as of June 30th, all of you will be laid off. There's declining enrollment in the school. There's a significant debt. Uh, as of June 30th, your jobs will be gone. Not good news. Uh, and for some people who this is their full-time livelihood, it was, it was much more serious than it was for me. Uh, but yet, it, it still affected me. And then in January, there were other things that happened, too. I found out that uh, someone in my family was just diagnosed with a terrible disease, and, and it, was, it was daunting. Uh, and then you think about all the other things, caring for, uh, trying to care well for our aging mothers, all these different things that were coming at us, and I was absolutely floored. And I was living, I recognized, as one who lives without hope. And just thinking that these circumstances are so overwhelming that there's no way that they can be overcome. And so I, I traveled out to um, Western Canada, out to Kelowna, for a retreat that I was taking part in. And uh, on the first day, the woman who was facilitating this particular uh, spiritual exercise called Alexio Divina, some of you may be familiar with that. But what Alexio Divina is, is a literally means divine reading. So what you do is you take a passage of Scripture and you read it over and over again um, until key words start uh, to surface for you and you start to think on them or key phrases. And so the passage that the woman chose was Ephesians 3, um, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, which we're going to read in a moment. Um, but I want you to, to know this um, 
that when Paul prays this prayer that he prays, it's one of intensity. It's one that uh, for him, he recognized how life-changing this thing had been. So there I sat in this workshop um, just feeling absolutely miserable, um, you know, for an hour and 15 minutes. And then we had to come back together, and you had to debrief with two people. And I was debriefing with uh, two young women that I happened to know. And so we got together in our little triad, and they said, Brett, why don't you go first? I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and I looked at them, and I said, this is going to be heavy. And they said, really? I said, yeah. Um, because I have just recognized that I have caught myself in a temptation to despair. And what I have done in those moments and in those days before that is that I've actually limited the power of God to work in my life because I have thought of Him, like me, that His resources are limited. And that's the danger we run when we think that our circumstances are so far-fetching um, that they are so powerful that they cannot be overcome, we actually negate the power of God. And so there I stood, um, feeling somewhat, while well, feeling very grateful for what I had encountered in God's Word, but also recognizing I need to allow God to work in the ways that He wants to work with power and with might and with strength. So let's look at Ephesians three fourteen to 21 together. My hunch is that if you're anything like me, that uh, from time to time you struggle uh, with situations, and that from time to time you also limit the power of God. So Paul begins, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Keep going, please. The creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide how long how high and how deep his love is may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, <clears throat> to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever endeavor. Amen. Some time ago, a friend of mine named Steve Brown um, wrote a book called Leading Me, and he talks about this verse that will be familiar to some of you, Proverbs 29, 18, that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we often think about that passage, particularly those of us who, you know, work in leadership training circles. You'll hear that verse and people will think, well, what is your vision? Um, you know, and then we'll talk about the grand plans that we have made and those strategic things that we have planned. For, but it's missing the point of what that verse is about. The verse is actually about where there is no vision, the people perish. The idea is that our vision needs to be a big, grand one of who God is. It's not about our plans at all. 
It's about how we understand God, and when we understand God, that makes a huge difference because if we don't have a good understanding of God, it leads to chaos in our world. That's what the verse is really about. So when Paul's talking in this passage, um, and he say, you know, he's thankful for all that has happened, he's doing that because he has a huge vision of who God is. According to Steve Brown, he says, everyone has a vision of God and how we see God shapes us. It impacts our thinking and our actions. Though it may be subtle at times, our vision of God profoundly influ influences how we live. Some of you will remember the passage in uh, Exodus chapter 33 um, when Moses has this encounter with God. And, and Moses is a very interesting guy to me. You would think um, that somebody has, who has encountered God in a burning bush, so you're standing in front of this bush and the thing's on fire but it's not burning up, you would think that somebody would, uh, like that would be so sure of God's presence that they would never waver. You would think that somebody who has seen God deliver all these Israelite people from all these plagues, who's had these ongoing constant conversations with God, you would think that that person was okay and would never waver in their faith. And yet he does. And I want to read just this passage for you. I have to stand still. I also lost my glasses in Ecuador. So when I put them on, I look at you and I feel kind of woozy. So I just have to look down at the page here. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You call me by name and tell me I have found favor with you. Please, if this is really so, show me your intentions so I will understand you more fully and exactly what you want me to do. Besides, don't forget that this nation is your very own people. Like, do you think God would have forgot that? <laughs> it's kind of interesting to me that Moses challenges God this way. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you. Moses, I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't go with us personally, don't let us move a step from this place. If you don't go with us, how will anyone ever know that, you are, that your people and I have found favor with you? How else will they know we are special and distinct from all other people in the earth? And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and you are my friend. Then Moses had one more request. Please let me see your glorious presence, he said. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, the Lord, to you. I will show kindness to anyone I choose, and I will show mercy to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, stand here on this rock beside me. As my glorious presence passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand and you will see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. It's interesting to me. Um, I, I do have a friend who asks me all the time, you know, if you could be anywhere in history, where would you like to be? <laughs> and it's fascinating to me because I often choose that I would like to be with the disciples. 
And at the end of Matthew chapter 28, you'll know the passage about the Great Commission where the Lord um, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, just before it gets to that place, it says, And the disciples were gathered there, but some still doubted. It's a very interesting little phrase. Some still doubted. I'm thinking, okay, they've had three and a half years of sitting around on the ground with him, day and night, question and question. Would God's presence not be so real to them that they would never shake, that they would never waver? But in fact, they do. So here's this reminder that I think um, we constantly need to be reminded of God's goodness to us. We lose that thought. We lose that understanding. We lose that glimpse of his goodness because we get caught up in our circumstance. Uh, Lisa Sharon Harper has said this, that there's a difference between thick and thin faith. Thin faith relies on what others tell me, like your pastor or whoever happens to be speaking up front that day. Um, it is not experienced, studied, or nurtured. It is not anchored in context. Thick faith, in contrast, is rooted and established. So it's interesting Paul uses those words, rooted and established, you know, that gardening term. Uh, Joanne and I have a tree in our backyard, a linden tree, that I think because of the wind over the years, it's just slightly off-center. It it's, looks like someday it may come down, but I'll tell you, I'm very grateful for those roots that kind of go over all of my yard. I know that because I run over it with my lawnmower regularly, um, that these roots go down very deep, and that keeps the tree up. It keeps it secure. If it weren't for those roots, that thing would come tumbling down very quickly. He also uses this term of foundation, which is a, a building term. When you build a house, you want it to have a good, strong foundation. You want the beams to be correct. Uh, you want it to be able to stand up and with, uh, you know, be able to withstand storm after storm over year after year. Some of people who have written some great songs and some great hymns over the year, they knew this. They knew that if I have a huge vision, a grand vision of who God is, that that would help me even in those thin days, in those days when life isn't so um, rosy. Bruce Coburn, um, some of you, again, of a certain vintage, may remember his song, Lord of the Starfields. And in it, he says this, O love that fires the sun, keep me burning. Lord of the starfields, sower of life, heaven and earth, are full of your light. Some of you are probably singing it if you know that song. Um, and it's this great picture of who God is. God is the one who actually fires the sun. This isn't a God who's limited by my circumstances by any means. This is a God who's capable of great things, the sower of life. Um, you think again to the writer of, um, still, of uh, Be Thou My Vision. And I'll just read it for you quickly here and save you the trouble of listening to me sing it. How's that? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son, Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou, and thou only, 
first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. High king of heaven, my victory won, may I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. See, hear this um, as the hymn writer, maybe he wrote it because he needed to be reminded. Maybe he wrote it because he needed to say, above all else, I need to have my mind and my eyes fixed on who Jesus is. Uh, it's a fairly common complaint against Christianity that people might level, an, an accusation that says, well, uh, Sigmund Freud said, it isn't God just a crutch. People say in our day, Bill Mahar and others, um, Christians, they want a God because they're not strong enough to handle things on their own. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You see, when we get to the end of our uh, um, possibilities, when we get to the end of our limitations, the end of our resources, we say, yes, now, Lord, I surrender, and I allow you to work through me. That's what the Christian life is all about. And I prefer the word surrender rather than commit because I know when I commit to something, that's good for about another two or three hours. And it's a difference to me when I surrender and I say, now I'm going to allow Christ to work in me. He will be the Lord of my life and I will have a grand vision of him. That makes a significant difference because he's one with unlimited resources. The second thing we do, I think, to have this clear vision of God is that we cultivate gratitude. Paul says, when I think of all this, he actually uses it twice in the book of Ephesians. Um, he says, when I think of all this, so for Paul, um, he's actually overwhelmed with the love and the power of Christ. Okay, here's this guy who's known what it's like to live apart from Christ, actually persecuting Christians and standing at the feet of Stephen um, as Stephen is stoned to death for proclaiming Christ. Paul was there. He was giving his assent. He was condoning that activity. So he recognized um, later on when Christ met him in a miraculous way and he falls before Christ, he recognized just how far he had come. He recognized what grace had done for him. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a good way to understand grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Paul knew that. So when he writes this passage, this prayer, that's foremost in his mind. He's thinking, when I think of all this, it overwhelms me, and I fall to my knees. And it wasn't a common posture in those days. Um, they didn't have churches where they had kneeling benches. Um, this is the thing that Paul did because he is overwhelmed by the absolute love of Christ for him. Uh, N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Good News, says this. In Paul's mind, the good news about what has happened points to the good news about what is yet to happen. Once people grasp that the events of the Messiah's death and resurrection have transformed everything and that they are now living between that initial explosive event and God's final setting right of the world, then everything will change. Belief, behavior, attitudes, expectations, and not least, a new love, a real sense of belonging, which springs up among those who share all this. So what he's saying that once you understand, you know, what Christ has done for you and you understand what's going to be done for you and that Christ is going to reconcile all things, it should make a difference for now. 
Like when you get that and you think about it and you look forward to what's ahead, you think, okay, I'm okay in the here and the now. Christ's love makes a difference, and that's how it's to be expressed through us too, his love. It's a pretty cool thing, but I believe it's a discipline. Uh, in January, while I was doing that exercise, I was also trying to discern, um, you know, do I continue working at the Bible college or not? God, how are you leading me? And so I spent this day of discernment and um, happened to be reading something by Ruth Haley Barton, and she said, um, there are two ways to look at life, and sometimes we can do this little thing. Thinking of John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. She said, we go through life and we think of things that console us and we think of things that desolate us. So the things that console us are the things that bring us life and joy and happiness. The things that console are the things that make us miserable. And so I, I made this list as she suggested, and you make a list of all the things that you're thankful for, uh, and, you, and I thank God you know, for my kids, and I thank God for the food that I have to eat, and I thank God for the friendships that I have, and I thank God for eternal life, and I thank God for my wife, and I thank not in that order, all those things, by the way. And <laughs> thank God for all these things that I have. And guess what? The things that desolate my heart minimize. I'm not saying that they're not there and that we shouldn't deal with those complaints and those things that are difficult for us, but in light of God's glorious, unlimited resources, they are not big. And I don't know what God wants to work in our hearts as we're going through those difficult things, um, and, and sometimes we will not know, I do not think. But one thing I do know, when I focus on those things that console my heart, when I think about the life and joy life becomes so much better. There's so much more available in Christ Jesus, but we limit him. We tend to think that he is like us, that I don't want to trouble him with my things because, you know, he doesn't have um, that much to give us. And so we hesitate to go to him. That's my limited resources speaking. That's my warped view of who God is. I was having a chat with my son, Brendan, who lives in Calgary last week, and he said, hey, Dad, have you been to see the movie The Shack yet? And I said, no. Um, what was it like? I, I've read the book. Uh, he, he said, well, it says really emotional, <laughs> um, which is big for him. He, he doesn't go to that realm that often. Um, but he said it was really emotional for me, and I said, well, what was really good about it? He said, well, he said, Dad, think about this. Um, in the movie, the main character, Mac, gets to go to a shack for the weekend and spend the weekend with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, how cool would that be? I said, yeah, that would be pretty cool. And there's this phrase that comes up repeatedly in the movie uh, and the book, and I'm not giving away too much, but there's this phrase that I absolutely love, and Papa says it um, repeatedly. He says, I'm especially fond of you. I'm especially fond of him. I'm especially fond of her. And so Mac, the main character, is sitting down at a table with Papa, God, and says, is there anybody you don't like? Is there anybody you don't feel that way about? And Papa hesitates. And, hmm. No. <laughs> I don't love some of the things that everybody does. 
but I can't say there's anybody that I'm not especially fond of. So when we're tempted at times to think that God doesn't want to hear about our troubles, remember this, that Papa looks at you and says, I'm especially fond of him. John 1.12 says us that. To all who believed in him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So our standing before God is we're not somebody who's going to this father of everything and annoying him. We have this father who loves us and who's especially fond of us and has so much more to offer. For Paul, when he thought about all of this, particularly God's grace for him, and the unifying power of God the Father to bring Jews and Gentiles together, it caused him great joy. It made a significant difference for him. Finally, the third thing, we need to experience his glorious unlimited resources and not lie, rely on our own. God's unlimited resources, there is no end. I think, again, that sometimes we hesitate to go to God because we think He's done so much for us already. Let me tell you this, He has more. <laughs> hey, if you think about the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, you remember that miracle, and He has five loaves of bread and two fish, I think that's the case. Um, and these people keep coming. Can you imagine if you were a disciple that day? These people keep coming in, and, and they were fretting a little bit. Like, how are we going to feed these people? What are we going to do? Um, let me tell you, there was nobody standing on the peripheral. There were no big, burly men holding people back. There was nobody saying, no, you can't come because we're not sure if we have more. There was this knowledge, there was this idea that we have more. We don't know how it's happening, but all these people are getting fed. God had more for them. Uh, I contrast that with uh, my son, Chris, who lives in Toronto, lived on Dundas Street in Toronto, and across the street from him was Drake's store, you know, Drake the rapper. Um, and every time I'd visit Chris, there would be people outside the store uh, who weren't allowed in because the store could only handle so many people and they only had so much merchandise. It was limited. And then I think about Jesus feeding these 5,000 people and all the other miracles that he performed and all the things that when I stop and recount all of the things that he has done for me, it makes a significant difference. But I need to be reminded and I need to be with God's people because in isolation I forget those things. That's part of why we gather on a Sunday morning so that we can remind one another, we can sing and say, yes, let's think on those things that are noble, that are true, that are pure, that are lovely, that are good, the things that God has provided for us. Some of you may have um, watched the Canadian Screen Awards that were on last Sunday night, and there was one point, I, I really enjoy a show called Kim's Convenience. My wife and I have gotten into that, and I don't know if anybody's ever watched that show um, but it's a show about Mr. Kim and his family who own a convenience store in the heart of Toronto and about all the people that come in and visit. It's actually a Christian family, and so they work out, uh, you know, dilemmas of faith and so on. Um, but he won the best actor that night. And so there was this award, award. The man's name is Paul Hyung Sung Lee. And as he was giving his speech, um, it was a wonderful speech for about five minutes, but he said this little part that I think is relevant to us. And he said, our world needs this love now more than ever. 
So you see, when we understand that God's unlimited resources, and Paul prays that we would be strengthened uh, in love and in power by His Holy Spirit who dwells in us, which, by the way, that word dwell means to live in us forever. It's not a temporary thing. It's to live in us forever. It says we are strengthened in that love so that we can actually give it out to other people. So we enjoy it. But it does make a difference in how we treat one another and how we um, express love and dignity and respect other people. And he says our world needs that more now than it ever did. And I'm going to close with this illustration just because it reminded me. Um, Joanne and I were in Ecuador, but we were about to celebrate our 30th anniversary. anniversary. And so we went to the Galapagos Islands, um, which are part of Ecuador. So we were snorkeling, and there's this, uh, we were at a place called Tortuga Bay, which is this beautiful, long beach. Um, but then there's this little reef where it's cut off, and you can swim in there and snorkel. And um, I was loving it, because it's like swimming in an aquarium. There's all these brown and orange fish and yellow and purple fish and a flute fish, which is a long thing that actually looks like a flute. Um, really cool. And so I would put my mask on and I'd go under the water and at one point I was snorkeling and about 10 feet away I saw these two women. Um, you know, they were above water and so I came out of the water, took off my mask, realized I can't see much of anything really. But I did talk to the women, I said hello and I said, do you realize that right now there's four sharks swimming around you? <laughs> That's what you could see under the water. Now the sharks were only three feet long. Um, don't be too alarmed. But it just uh, brought to mind how often my view and my sight of life is limited. But under the water, there was like it was teeming with fish and life. And often we settle for um, believing that we know everything that's going on when below the waterline, there's this whole multitude of glorious, unlimited resources that God has waiting for us. Let's not sell them short. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning to sing of your goodness. Uh, Lord, to meet with one another and to be encouraged, we thank you for the people that are gathered here and what you've done in their hearts and how you've reminded them of your goodness. I pray that we would never forget who you are and the might that you endow. And Lord, I pray that even as we go through this day and through the rest of our week, that we would be amazed by sightings and, and hearings of you and how you are at work. And I pray that you would strengthen us and give us power in love so that we might love others as well. In Jesus' name I pray.